Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, our initial mailbag voyage of 2022. And boy, Alex, do we have an exciting one. Yeah, we were going to talk about uh, Cam Reddish, potential as a Knicks trade target, what it might cost to get him, all that good stuff with his name being floated out there as a potential trade target. Talk about Hogwarts houses and which Knicks would be in which. I'm sure that's I'm sure that's not going to get contentious at all between two Harry Potter fans like us. Uh, we talk about who has the better PA announcement, Julius Randle or R.J. Barrett. And we talk about a, a little cornucopia of things as far as Evan Fournier is concerned. So we'll get into all that next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today. And every day we're now available on all platforms, including on YouTube. So if you're not looking at our cherubic faces, go do that. And please, please, please throw us a subscription. And today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Check out prizepicks.com and use promo code MBA or go to the App Store and download the app today. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. And I am Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster, looking to get back into it next week with the Hoopal Classic Basketball Tournament that's up in Springfield, Massachusetts. A whole bunch of the best high school teams in the country should be a lot of fun. He is Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of the Strickland, the greatest Knicks website on the internet. If you don't already follow them on Twitter, some celebrities do, so you should as well check out all their fantastic work and coverage of the team. And we are here for a mailbag, and I love doing mailbags. Maybe maybe my favorite part of the job, Alex, and we have uh, an interesting first question, something I hadn't really thought about, but a question from the R.J. Barrett Defense Brigade, the Defense Brigade, stronger than ever. It was looking a little shaky for a while <laughs> at Barrett Brigade, Brigade. Oh, my God, that's, that's a tongue twister. Nine on Twitter. And he asked us thoughts on trying to go grab Cam Reddish. So there was a report from Sam Amick of The Athletic that the Hawks are looking to put together a two-for-one package. Um, I think there were also uh, reports out there that they could just be looking for a first-round pick for someone like Reddish. But the Hawks are, are sort of the classic team where they have too many good players and they want to consolidate their talent. Uh, Cam Reddish, seemingly one of the most likely names on the chopping block. Someone I know, Alex, you and I have talked about in the past. They feel like every year we've done this podcast, we, we've, we've had some segment on Cam Reddish. So continue continuing an annual tradition here. What are your thoughts on the Knicks potentially trying to trade for him? Yeah, I'm not in love with it, if I'm being honest. Like I've never, ever since the, the college draft process, I've never been a huge fan of Reddish, if we're being honest. Like I will say he he's gotten a lot better in the three-point shooting department this year, which is definitely encouraging to me. Uh, Shooting 38% from three on four and a half attempts a game, 90% from the free throw line, granted on like not a a lot of attempts, but that that shows me that his shot is starting to come into form. Uh, The only thing for me is I just don't particularly love how he plays the game, and I I didn't really love it at Duke either. 
Um, so I think that I'm sort of of the opinion that if the Knicks can trade for him and get out of it for maybe like one of their two protected first round picks, then maybe that's a worthy gamble. Um, there is definitely something to be said for trying to reunite him with RJ Barrett. Like it's less <laughs> remembered because like Zion's the bigger name and that's the one that everybody's trying to be like, Oh, get Zion to the Knicks, you know, blah, blah, blah. He and RJ are best friends, but all three of those guys are pretty good friends. You know, RJ, Zion and Cam Reddish because they, you know, had that one year at Duke together. They obviously made that decision to to all do that together. Maybe getting Cam Reddish, you know, just increases the likelihood of getting Zion at a discount at some point or another. Um, so that's like a, a politics reason for getting him. Uh, but as far as like the actual on-court fit, you know, he's, he did have, he hasn't shown it much in the NBA. And I think that they ran a couple ill-fated experiments off the bench with him sort of being the point guard. That was sort of a thing that was advertised as being a potential thing for him coming out of college or, or going into college, I should say, as like a high school player. Um, hasn't really come to fruition. And I kind of, I don't really think that he can do much more than run like some basic pick and rolls and stuff. But, you know, maybe unlocking him a little more in that regard with the bench unit or something could, you know, benefit the Knicks if you get him out there and, you know, have him running with Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin, like, that could potentially be a really fun unit there off the bench. Uh, also, maybe like Alec Burks or or whoever you have coming off the bench, maybe Evan Fournier, which we'll talk about in a couple minutes. But, you know, that there's potential there for this to be a, a good pickup for the Knicks, but I just don't want to do it if the price is too high. Like, uh, I'll let you, you know, I'll let you present your one scenario now. If it was the two-for-one scenario that, like, you're proposing, I, I don't think I would probably do it. But I, I'll let you present that first, and then we can talk about it. Yeah, so I think I'm I'm generally with you on Reddish as a player. He's someone whose talent I've always been intrigued by. I mean, even going back to high school, because he's someone who I, I think, and I think this is why his recruiting rating was so high. He just looks like a superstar in how he plays, right? What, what is he? Six foot nine, hyper athletic, some really creative finishes, or at least at least hyper athletic around the basket. I, I would say his fluidity is probably what has sort of caught him up a little bit and has not turned him into the Paul George type of guy that people thought he might be out of high school, um, but someone who likes to shoot like a whole bunch of contested mid-range shots. And when he, when he was at the high school level and he was just too big and too skilled for everyone, people were looking at him and saying, oh, this is a this is a future NBA superstar. And he got to Duke and it looked a little shakier, but people were kind of saying the same thing that they were saying about R.J. Barrett. Well, the spacing wasn't really ideal. It was sort of Zion's show. Um, let's see how he looks in an NBA context. In his rookie year, I think a lot of people, the consensus was, oh, this guy was a steal. Like he's still not super efficient, but once he puts it all together, the the shooting, the the flashes of passing, the size, the finishing at the rim, um, the Hawks are going to come out of this looking really, really good. And I think he's he's hit on elements of that and he's still very young. But he has yet to put all of those things together, right? To your point, much more efficient from three-point range this year. He's made he's made a pretty significant jump as a playmaker this season. Before this year, he'd never been above the 25th percentile in the league for his position in assist percentage. Now up to the 40th percentile in the league in assist percentage average in terms of assist per turnover ratio. His shooting efficiency is a whole lot better. He's He was 16th percentile his first season, 13th percentile second season in terms of points per shot attempt. This year up to the 37th percentile. And that's all because of the three-point shooting, all because, to your point, the free throw shooting is a whole lot better. Um, the issues are 
He's just not very good around the rim. Last season was encouraging that respect. He got up to above average this year, all the way back down to the 27th percentile at the basket. Someone who takes a whole lot of shots from mid-range and yet has never really been good from there. His rookie year was was the closest he got, but this season only a 20th percentile mid-range shooter. I know I'm throwing a whole lot of stats at you guys, but all of it is to say he I don't think he is who he thinks he is. Would, would be would be my best way of summing it up. And defensively, someone who showed a lot of promise his first year. And, and to the best of my knowledge, I can't say I've watched a lot of Hawks, but what, what I've read and from what I have watched, basically sort of the same guy he was as a rookie, where like he's solid, has good positional size, but not really flashing anything fantastic on that end of the floor. All of that, a very long-winded way of saying, I, I think the speculative trade that the Hawks would want to make would maybe be something along the lines of Cam Reddish and Kevin Herter for R.J. Barrett, right? A, a classic consolidation trade where, where, you, where you take a shot at another team's talented prospect that hasn't totally flourished there. But from the Knicks' perspective, I think that would immediately make the Knicks quite a bit better. Like, I think Herter is just flat out a better player than R.J. Barrett is right now. So that's a little bit interesting. Herter has been injured quite a bit this year, but has gotten much, much better around the rim. Um, so there, there's, there's, there's an argument for that trade to be made. But Alex, I think you're probably ultimately on the same page for me. If you're the New York Knicks, What's the upside of a deal like that? Yeah, it makes me, you know, one thing, probably the best thing that Bill Simmons ever did uh, in his in his long career of writing. And granted, none of it was about writing about the Knicks. I always thought that he was terrible at writing about the Knicks because he couldn't leave the biases out. But the the concept in his trade value columns of, you know, making players into essentially, you know, forms of currency. So like. Some players are a quarter, some players are a 50 cent piece, some players are a dollar, you know, and usually like the best players you would consider to be a dollar. And then it would be like the rest were kind of either like 50 cent pieces, quarters or not worth even, you know, dealing with or whatever. And this just feels to me like the Knicks would be trading, you know, two quarters for a for a 50 cent piece or I guess RJ maybe would qualify because of the the upside and everything is like 75 cents or something. So it'd be like getting a 50 cent piece in Herder and, you know, a quarter in Reddish for 75 cents. So technically you're getting equal value, but it's like, why are you spreading that out instead of just having it be that one piece? And the Knicks, you know, for all their issues this year at full strength, they have sort of similar issues to the Hawks in the sense that they have too many talented players that, you know, sort of have a stake on playing time. And, you know, there's the issues, obviously, with the starters and how well or rather not well they have, you know, meshed together. Um, but then, like, the bench is also fully juiced with good players, too. And you start running into situations where, like, Quentin Grimes is having a hard time finding minutes despite, you know, showing that he's definitely an NBA player and, you know, a guy that you want to find minutes his rookie year. So that's probably the main reason, outside of the fact that I just think that I would, I would value just R.J. Barrett over those two guys to begin with. I think that's the other issue is that the Knicks also have too many mouths to feed right now um, compared to, you know, the the guys on the roster, you know, so it's like, or compared to playing time available, I should say. So it just doesn't, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me to, to pursue a move like that. If you're the Knicks, like if, if anything, if I was the Knicks, I would be, if you're like, okay, RJ Barrett is on the table. I'll be trying to, pair RJ with someone like say like Evan Fournier with more salary to try to go after someone, you know, bigger, if that's your goal. Although I don't think that should be the goal either. Um, That said, I, you know, you wrote in our notes here, a different scenario, which I think is pretty interesting. So I'll just introduce it and then throw it to you. Cause I, I like this quite a bit, you know, I, 
from a from the perspective of the Knicks, like doing this constant balancing act right now between building for the future and trying to win now, I think this is a, a good move for them potentially, which is Alec Burks for Cam Reddish. I, I don't hate that. Yeah, I think I think it's an interesting one, right? Because the Hawks, despite not being very good this season, uh, still have aspirations of grandeur, or at least in the next couple of years. And, and even though they, I, I'm pretty sure they they locked Trey Young into an extension, right? If I'm if I'm not crazy. Yeah. Um, but anyways, um, I think that I don't want to say it becomes a ticking time bomb, but if, if they if they start regressing from last season where they got all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals. Maybe that becomes an interesting situation where, where Trey could potentially want out. And I think the Hawks are very intent um, on, at the very least, remaining competitive for the indefinite future. And Burks clearly makes them better today, right? And I think they almost need more guys like Burks because they have all these young pieces, but they're, none of them are playing exceptionally well this year outside of Trey Young. And I think Burks is, is sort of a great, I mean, we, we've said this over and over and over again, you plug him into pretty much any context and he makes your team better because he's capable of filling in essentially any gap, even though Reddish is more talented physically defensively. I don't think Burks is necessarily a downgrade from him on that end of the floor. Burks is just as good, if not a better shooter. And he brings so much more off the dribble and in terms of his passing. And for the New York Knicks, you get to make an upside play on a young talent like Reddish. So I think for both sides, that would make a whole lot of sense. And, and just the, the combined passing of Burks, Trey, and Kevin Herter on the floor together, I think would be really fun for the Atlanta Hawks. But uh, maybe maybe a conversation we get to keep having if, if those talks heat up. But Alex, I wanted to take a quick break and tell everyone a little bit more about Prize Picks. You've been hearing me tell you about Prize Picks for months. Have you signed up yet? Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. If you have not checked it out, you're missing out. I'm telling you, you are going to love this app for NBA mixed sports pickums. The Christmas Day games are, or rather, were off the charts, and even probably were even more fun if you played Prize Picks. Prize Picks has the best NBA DFS prop game on the market. Prize Picks offers more NBA props than any other DFS prop operator and offers all the superstar players as well as bench players, only recording a handful of minutes each game. Prize Picks offers any prop you can think of from points, assists, rebounds, threes made, etc. All of you, all of the users that deposit and use our promo code will receive a hundred percent instant deposit match up to a hundred dollars. Just be sure to use promo code NBA. You pick two to five players and an over under on their projections, and you can win up to ten times on any entry. And it's just you versus the projected numbers. Prize Picks allows mixed sports entries, so that's really cool. So you could take the over on Julius Randall rebounds. Maybe maybe you could take the over under on Julius Randall fu's to the crowd and the under on the number of points that the Giants will score in their final regular season game. I would I would bet that pretty hard. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Prize Picks is safe and offers fast withdrawals. So go to prizepicks.com today and use promo code MBA or go to your App Store and download the app. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. If you're not playing Prize Picks, you honestly don't know what you are missing. It's really great, guys. And we also wanted to tell you about Shopify. Oh man, I, I don't I don't have the file quite up, but I love the Shopify sound. Every time I hear it, it makes me smile. It's the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources once reserved for big businesses. So upstart startups and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales and effortlessly stay informed. Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. Believe me, the podcast started out selling 
not a whole lot. We, we, we were pretty, I don't know if you guys remember, but a couple of years ago, we were pretty limited. And today we're selling, I mean, all, all, the, all the best companies in the world, like Shopify. And um, I'm not stopping there because success is a million milestones on a forever evolving path. Like mine, Shopify powers millions of businesses from first sale to full scale. Reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. Gain insights as you grow with detailed reporting of conversion rates, profit margins, and beyond. More than a store, Shopify grows with you. This is a possibility powered by Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash MBA, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and gain full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. So grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash LockedOnNBA right now, shopify.com slash LockedOnNBA. And with that, Alex, we are back on Locked On Knicks, and we are ready to get into the real reason we were so excited to do this mailbag. One of my favorite questions I have ever gotten on this podcast. Shout out to Victor A. Diaz for asking it at Heist Zero on Twitter. And he wants to know, saw this late, but a random fun pod idea would be to sort the team into Hogwarts houses. So Alex, I've been talking for a while. I will toss it over to you. Where did you plug in each and every guy on the Knicks roster? All right. So I'll turn myself into a sorting hat real quick. Uh, uh, I think it's little known fact. We're both, we're both very into Harry Potter. Um, I have uh, one of my favorite trips of my life was going to Wizarding World. And getting to pretend that I was a a Hogwarts student and being like the only at the time late twenties person <laughs> doing all the little uh, all the little spells in the midst of all of the uh, the small children um, throughout the park. It's pretty cool if you're if you're a Harry Potter fan. They have things set up where you could do little spells using these like AR wands that you could buy. Of course, it's all a racket to get you to buy like a fifty dollar wand, but I'm nothing if not a sucker. Um, Anyway, so if I'm going to start sorting guys into houses, I'll try to keep it as brief as I can on the explanations. But I'll just uh, do we want to do it ha- by house? Do we want it uh, so that we could go back and forth a little bit? I think yeah, that's good. Work. Yeah. All right. So I'll do Gryffindor first. We'll we'll hit with the you know the big one, Harry Potter's house. Uh, I've got R.J. Barrett. And, or first off, my my qualities of Gryffindor. Uh, brave. You got to be brave first and foremost. It's sort of a mixed bag as far as smarts. Like Hermione, I think actually was sort of missorted. I think she should have been a Ravenclaw. I think Ravenclaw is really like the the house for the the studious people. But I think that her her braveness and overall maybe the Sorting Hat had like a weird premonition about oh well Harry Potter might need this girl to literally save his life and uh, like countless amounts of times and actually be the hero that we need to. Uh, and this second coming of Voldemort. So I'm going to put her in Gryffindor just so she can be near Harry at all times. Um, But, you know, so some smart cookies in there, but mostly like you got to be brave and you got to just sort of be brave. I don't know. I mean, that's, that's basically the, 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 calling card of Gryffindor to me because Wikipedia's uh, summary is courage, bravery, nerve, and chivalry. Yeah. It's like all, yeah, all basically the same thing. <laughs> um, so, you know, because you look at like Neville, Harry, Ron, like none of those guys are the brightest bulbs in the shed. You know, it's just not not uh, not the, the best uh, uh, mix there. But at any rate, so I have RJ in there, you know, maybe that's doing his uh, his 
basketball IQ a disservice, but I just think that RJ is like the Knicks Harry Potter. So I, I couldn't put him anywhere else but Gryffindor. Um, also, we saw, obviously, the other night, this this is perfect timing because after the game winner, obviously, bravery abounds for R.J. Barrett. So he goes in Gryffindor. Kemba Walker, also in Gryffindor, and never met a shot that he wouldn't love to take. Um, and, you know, I, I think that he's he's got that uh, – he's got sort of the stones to be in, in Gryffindor. Same thing with Alec Burks. Uh, I think that he he deserves to be in Gryffindor as well. Um, just the you know he's perfectly willing to put it all on his shoulders and and take all the shots that you need him to. Uh, he's downright foolhardy at times, so I, I think that that puts him in there as well. And then Obi Toppin too. Um, I I I I don't know. Obi could maybe fit in Ravenclaw. Like I feel like Ravenclaw is the most flattering house to put people in from a basketball perspective. Cause it's like high basketball IQ, you know, or like just high understanding of the game of basketball or whatever, a student of the game, you know, that sort of thing. But I, I think Obi fits in Gryffindor as well. He's just, I think mostly just for the, for the lovableness of him. Like he just, he's another one that strikes me as like, if you ask Knicks fans, like if you ask combo Knicks, Harry Potter fans, like who's the, who's the Harry Potter of the Knicks? It, probably everybody would say RJ or Obi. So I, I feel like they both had to be in Gryffindor. I just feel like Obi would look great in like robes with like thick, like like a big circular glasses on his mm-hmm. eyes. Like he just, he, I think he just has the profile of someone who, who, would, who would fit into the Harry Potter universe really well. Sneak, I, I have a feeling he is a big Harry Potter fan. I'm going to, I'm going to throw that out there. All right. So my Gryffindors were um, RJ, agree with everything you said. Kemba to me, I would say embodies Gryffindor qualities more than anyone on the team. Like he, he just like that. That's who he is his whole career at like smaller than everyone counted out just doesn't give a crap like like it's just it's just gonna put a three ball in your eye or or like the 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 shot he made against Pittsburgh at MSG when he was at UConn leading them to that national title run he he embodies Gryffindor more than anyone um the last two guys I had in here you had in other houses I had Emmanuel Quickly and Julius Randle uh I feel better about IQ than Julius I feel like IQ is sort of a Hermione case where I I saw you had him as spoilers in Ravenclaw and I I was torn between those two because he is such a technician and he is to your point such a student of the game but to me the defining characteristic of Emmanuel Quickly is sort of his ballsiness and his swagger it's that it's that he craves the moment of, of being the guy and taking that big shot and and he like I think more than anyone on the Knicks like loves the crowd just like cheering for him and it's that it's that like Harry Potter, like seeker quality. It's like getting, getting that moment in the sun and, and really, really embracing it and being all about it. And that was, that was sort of a low key, like aspect of Harry Potter's character. Like, I think, I mean, maybe it makes sense given his childhood, not to get too far into pop psychology of childhood fiction, but um, I think it makes sense that he craved attention. And I think Emmanuel quickly, there's something there too, where like he, he craves that attention. He craves that moment. Julius was the hardest player for me to pin down. But to me, like there's something about him that's sort of like puppyish and i think i mean maybe maybe this is like rough rough to say after given recent events but i think pure of heart like with, with julius randall like for all the all the criticism we throw his way and i think you and i always say this like i never question his intentions i think sometimes his his energy gets gets the best of him and he, and he has some bad moments like when he when he complains to refs instead of getting back on defense but to me that's all it's all passion and i think I think that's that's sort of how I think of Gryffindor. I think of it as, as passion. But Alex, I'll, I'll toss it back to you. Uh, who did you have for Hufflepuff? Yeah, so Hufflepuff. I'll give the quick uh, the quick explanation off of the Harry Potter fandom wiki. Uh, most inclusive among the four houses, valuing hard work, dedication, patience, loyalty, 
and fair play rather than a particular aptitude in its members. Um, among Harry Potter fans, Hufflepuff is sort of the, uh, uh, the, <laughs> I don't want to say it's the dumb, dumb house, but you know, it's like sort of the, it's the last one that you would probably put if it was like a college acceptance list of like which ones you wanted to get into. Hufflepuff is probably towards the bottom. They're that the Arizona said, state of Hogwarts houses. Exactly. They're proud alumni. <laughs> that, that said, they did produce Cedric Diggory, like one of the greatest, uh, greatest wizards that ever lived, at least RIP. In, as long as he was able to live. RIP. Um, so I threw Mitchell Robinson, Kevin Knox, Taj Gibson, and Jericho Sims in there. Other than Taj, who I think is maybe sort of my Cedric character here in that I also just think he's just such a good dude and like Hufflepuff seems to just be full of good people. Um, the rest of those three are all sort of learning their way through right now and, you know, maybe struggle with with processing the game at times and and getting things perfect. But there is lots of potential in them and there is potential for someone like a Mitch to be a Cedric Diggory if if things go according to plan. So that's why I've got those four there. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe this is a little a little biased because I've I've tested into Hufflepuff. I'll, I'll be honest. Whenever I've taken the the personality test, but according to Wikipedia, an ever reliable source, Hufflepuff values hard work, patience, justice, and loyalty. So I'm gonna I'm gonna make the argument that Hufflepuff gets gets a bad rep in general. <laughs> it and definitely that, does. It definitely I mean, does. I think. I think like you can make an argument like I think people conflate Gryffindor with morality. I think Hufflepuff is is sort of is sort of the moral house and and the house of like the people who just who just care about other people and maybe maybe get stepped on because of it. But but to me that is all that is all Taj Gibson. He he's the embodiment of everything Hufflepuff. I had Jericho Sims in there just because he spent he spent four years in college. He just seemed like someone who's willing to commit and, and stick with the process and maybe it's paying results for him now. I had Mitch in there and Mitch, I just, I honestly didn't really know where else to plug him. So maybe that was like some of the negative qualities of Hufflepuff. But I will say there, I do think there's a certain loyalty there with Mitchell Robinson. Like he seems like very ride or die as a friend to me, at least. Um, I had Miles McBride in there. I was torn between there and Gryffindor, but to me, Miles McBride just seems like, like he is a guy that you just like that friend that you want in your corner in any situation to me, Obi Toppin along with Taj Gibson is the ultimate example of a Hufflepuff in that he's, he's extremely earnest, right? More than anything else. That is the defining characteristic of his personality. And to me, that's what I liked about Cedric Diggory. Like, like even though like his dad was trying to pit him against Harry, like everyone else like hated Harry during the Triwizard tournament when Harry wasn't supposed to be in it. And Cedric was just sort of like a good dude to him. And just like, he didn't really let anyone else like dictate how he treated other people. And to me, that that's what I assume Obi Toppin is like in his day-to-day interactions. But Alex, uh, give me give me some Slytherin. Who, who do we have in Slytherin? Well, before I get into that, I'm going to just take a quick moment to remind everybody that today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. It's the new year. That means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolution because it tastes so good, you'll want to eat it. Unlike other protein bars, which can be chalky or waxy or taste like a chemical spill. You want to eat healthy, but it just gets so boring. By like week three, you might be thinking, this just isn't worth it. Where's the chocolate? That's... Good thing you're eating Bilt Bars then because Bilt Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. On top of that, they only have 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of carbs, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a candy bar, which usually has around 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs. And even if you're not a huge fan of working out, you can at least eat something that tastes good and is good for you. 
That way, when you eat a delicious Built Bar, you can almost count it as a workout. And there's so many great flavors to choose from, like coconut almond, peanut butter brownie, raspberry, cookies and cream, salted caramel, and mint brownie. In fact, Built Bar is always coming out with new limited-time flavors, so check out Built.com to see what is new. So go to Built.com, use our promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. And today's show is also brought to you by BetOnline.ag. BetOnline would like to wish you a happy betting New Year's. We continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. With a new year and a new updated and desktop and mobile website, you can sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKEDON to get started. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. All right, so I won't hold this up anymore. Getting into Slytherin, Slytherin, of course, has a sort of a bad rap thanks to the Harry Potter universe. But as Harry said at the end of um, in the in the epilogue of the the final book slash movie. And as was illustrated to anybody that's either read the the uh, script book or that's seen the play in Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, Slytherin not all bad. You know, there are some some great wizards that come out of Slytherin. It just has a bad rap because it produced Voldemort, and Salazar Slytherin was maybe a little uh, a little questionable in his uh, motives or whatever. But you know, during the age of Voldemort, obviously Slytherin became associated with him thanks to that association, but all in all, not necessarily that overall. The characteristics of the house include cunning, resourcefulness, leadership, and ambition, um, according to the Harry Potter wikia. And so with that, I put Evan Fournier in there. Uh, For one thing, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) this is maybe harsh, but Evan Fournier just kind of looks like a death eater to me for some reason. (laughs) I wrote down the same thing. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I don't know, man. I think it's the combo of he's very, very white. um, And the the one tattoo on his arm, you could totally see being a dark mark. Um, So I guess that's that's part of it. But also, uh, just in general, his reception by the fans this year has not been great. Uh, Some fans might even say he was cunning in, you know, playing as well as he did for so long to secure this big contract and now playing how he has. Uh, But, you know, obviously a a great. Uh, wizard on the court at times, as he showed during that game against the Celtics the other day. Also, Celtics green, Slytherin green. Coincidence? I think not. Uh, that's why I think that Fournier is in Slytherin. Uh, Nerlens Noel, uh, I had in there for his general resemblance to a snake because <laughs> he's so he's so thin. I just couldn't really place Nerlens anywhere else either. I guess the cunning aspect and the resourceful kind of plays into his defense, though. When you consider how he sort of lures players in at his best, you know, challenging them to, uh, you know, attack the hoop only to completely destroy their hopes and dreams there. Uh, I also had Julius Randle in here, which is different from from your ranking of having him in Gryffindor. Uh, this was I made this up before the whole thumbs down thing the other day. But I also just think like, I don't know, Julius is to me like a good example of a, a Slytherin in that. You know, they, they say that, you know, Slytherins should have leadership qualities um, and ambition, you know, resourcefulness. I think Julius has all those things. He's managed to build out a really good 
NBA skill set out of, you know, maybe not the most impressive physical profile of all time. You know what I mean? Like you wouldn't look at Julius Randle and think this guy is going to be a, a primary ball handler potentially, or, you know, a, a guy that can initiate an offense and, you know, create step backs for himself and that sort of thing. You might look at him and think like, oh, he's just going to be a bowling ball on the inside. He's nothing more than like a, uh, I'm trying to think like a, Dewan Blair type or something like that, you know, to do a throwback to a, a little known player from back in the day. But like, you know, someone who's just going to use his body inside and be strong and whatever, he's he's really managed to develop a, a really good skill set. And I guess the the adversarial relationship with the fans over the last few days maybe uh, uh, just sort of adds to that whole uh, profile for him. And then lastly, I threw Lucas Samanich or Samanich, I think is how you actually pronounce it. I, I keep misdoing it in my head. Uh, off the, the G League Westchester Knicks, who might come up to the big Knicks sometime before the end of the year. But if you look at him, he looks like a grown-up basketball playing Draco Malfoy, and that's why I just had to throw him into Slytherin as well. But, Gavin, where were you at with Slytherin House? Yeah, uh, Slytherin was one of the tougher ones for me, but, but we, were, we were on the exact same page. I had Fournier and Noel in there. I just also think Nerland's Noel has to be, like, the most slytherin name of all time. It just, like, it almost, almost hisses coming out, of, coming out of your mouth. Uh, Nerland. Uh, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it just it sounds like it. And, and I think I think Fournier's baldness, uh, not, not, not to take a shot at, at the bald brethren out there, but um, I think I think that factors in. Like, there's just, there's, like, a little bit of a, he, he just looks like someone who would be a Mission Impossible villain. So I think he fits in. Pretty well in that grouping. Uh, the last guy I had in there was, and this was sort of last second because I initially had him in Hufflepuff was Kevin Knox, and and maybe I might I might on, on revision go back and put him in Hufflepuff. But to me, in my mind, I'm con- I'm constructing a whole like revenge narrative around Kevin Knox, where he's resentful about like going from being a star as a rookie to to sort of getting replaced every single year with like that. It was like Julius, then it was RJ, now it's like Grimes and McBride, and like he's just sort of forgotten. So I could see see a world where he takes a villain turn and becomes a good player on another team and comes back to terrorize the Knicks. So that is, that is projecting forward a little bit for Kevin Knox because he shows no signs of evil uh, whenever I've heard him talk before. Uh, Ravenclaw. Uh, I, again, I think we were, we were somewhat on the same page here. I had uh, uh, Alec Burks, Quentin Grimes, and Derek Rose. Um, I disagree with you on Burks and Gryffindor because to me, I just feel like he's too even keeled to be a Gryffindor and, and not that some, some Gryffindors are, fairly even keeled but to me like I, I think he, he's the perfect Ravenclaw like he he embodies that preciseness and just just the breadth of his skill set right the fact that he can do basically everything well and to me he, he seems like the old like people announcers always throw out that phrase student of the game Burks is the ultimate example of that on the Knicks it feels like he's someone who spent hours on his footwork hours like working on every single pump fake like I've almost I don't know if I've said this on air before but he's almost like super duper duper poor man's Kobe in some ways and just that he has such variety in his game and it feels like any like like if, if you were to run a horse tournament with everyone in the Knicks I would take Alec Burks every single time because he can make all those different shots Quinn Grimes another great example of that I was reading uh I think I mentioned on the pod this great article on how he just totally reworked his shot with his dad like just seems like the dude who spent a million hours in the gym and someone who's so far ahead of his age in terms of his defensive IQ and we talked about like all, all the digs and all the great moments he's had in help in the league and, and the strips and the rundowns and transition. Like he, he is just a technician on both ends of the floor, 
the ultimate knows what he's doing guy. And for that, he belongs in Ravenclaw. And Derek Rose, I look at I look at someone who maybe early in his career would have been a clear Gryffindor, but he took the time to master the game. He's all the injuries that sapped him of that otherworldly athleticism that he could use to dominate basketball. And he went and he just he studied and he turned himself into a completely different player and won, as we've said a bunch of times, Alex, that's probably almost as good as he was at his MVP peak. So those those, those are my three Ravenclaws. Yeah, I have, uh, in the interest of time, I, I have nothing to add on Grimes and Rose. I had them both in Ravenclaw as well. I just have uh, Quickly in there instead of, uh, it, I guess we sort of just have different different thoughts with Quickly and Burks, you know, as far as Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw. I had Quickly in, in Ravenclaw just because he's the guy who, you know, traditionally with the Knicks has been the one that you always see with the 2 a.m. workout videos with the, you know, shooting for two hours after the game, you know, that sort of stuff. And as a result of that, and, and just how much he clearly studies the game, I just think anyone who studies that much uh, has to be a Ravenclaw and, you know, is is clearly a, of the studious type. But uh, I'm going to sh- throw us to our next question so we can <laughs> so we can keep this pushing. This has already turned into a pretty long podcast. Uh, from Michael Shane at, 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 Nebs, at Nebsook on Twitter. I think I got that. Sure. At Nebsook. <laughs> Uh, does Julius Randle or RJ Barrett have the better PA announcement after scoring? Man, I wish we could have Mike Walshevsky back on uh, to to answer this question for us. But I'll do my best uh, impression of him, and then I'll throw it to you to to quickly pick your favorite, Gavin. Uh, Julius Randle from him is Julius Randle, and then RJ Barrett is RJ Barrett. What do you think? Not even close. RJ Barrett. It's easy. We can move on. Yeah, I think it's RJ as well. It really hit after that that shot the other day too. So like you could hear it throughout the din of uh, of all the cheering, particularly like in the uh, in the video that the the Knicks uh, social media team put together, where they they spliced together all the various angles that people took throughout the throughout the arena of the game winner. Like you could hear Mike's voice like through all the din like he gave it a, a few second pause for everybody to erupt and then he just goes three point goal RJ Barrett it's yeah. yeah done done easily easily the best uh out of those two no offense to Julius who I, I think also is a good call I think Mike does a good job of giving everybody everybody something nice and personal but the RJ one is is an all-timer um so next question another one from RJ Barrett defense brigade at Barrett Brigade 9. Thoughts on moving Fournier to the bench for quickly with the aim of letting Fournier run the offense as the primary ball handler with the bench unit due to no D. Rose and to try to replicate what he did in Orlando. Uh, and this sort of goes with the the last question too, so I'll, I'll just lump them together. So Argentum Spectrum at Argentum Spectre 1. Uh, I think the front office is making sure Fournier starts, and I think he's basically untradeable unless the Knicks agree to pay a lot of his contract which can't really happen in basketball, unfortunately. So there's only so much you can do as far as that goes. It's not like baseball where you can be like, oh, we're going to pay like 90% of this guy's contract and send him to you. Um, Would it be crazy to put Evan at the point to try to get some creation, which is kind of the point of signing him over Reggie Bullock? So, Gavin, I'll throw it to you to to initially react to that. Two questions basically saying, should Fournier be the primary guy off the bench? Yeah, so obviously we got these questions before the 40-point game, but I still I, I don't think it's it's really a bad idea. I think in particular when Kemba Walker comes back, there's just going to be 
too many cooks in the kitchen. And this was a point that our friend Ariel Pacheco made on Twitter that I agree with. Fournier tends to be a lot better operating from the top of the key or on the wings than when he's just sort of stuck in a corner. And I think he's someone that, I mean, we, we've, we've seen this all year, right? I don't even have to say, I think I, I kind of know at this point, he's someone that you just have to actively get involved in, whether that's Tibbs calling a play for him at, out of the opening moments of the game or, or running him off of screens or, or last game when he got hot and it was RJ Barrett and Emmanuel quickly every single time they got the ball, you could tell their thought process was, how do I get Evan an inch of space so he can get up another three? And I think it's just more feasible given given what RJ is doing now, again, what Kemba was doing when he was healthy, the fact that Julius is always going to be heavily involved. He's just more likely to get those reps on the bench. So given that I think Kemba's coming back relatively soon, I think it's less about putting quickly in form and maybe more so about putting Grimes or Burks in for him. Personally, I would put Grimes in for him. I, I think Grimes is, is just a great balancing piece in the starting lineup because he's someone who can hit open shots but absolutely does not need the ball and will, will play smart defensively. And then you let Fournier and Burks and, and IQ all work off each other. And I just think I think the pace and the verve that Emmanuel Quickly and Obi Toppin bring on 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 the bench can kind of inject Fournier with a little bit. I know we were talking about that in, in regards to RJ and in regards to Randall, but Fournier ultimately might be the best candidate for that. And, and just getting to play off those two guys and, and inspiring him to cut a little bit more and be a little bit more active. Um, and even on nights where he's not hitting, it's a little less impactful when he's doing it off the bench than when he's with the starters. But I, I think he'll get that extra burst of confidence given that he's just not going up against the same caliber of defender and he's getting the ball a little bit more. And, and in regards to the point guard aspect of the question, uh, I think he's, I, I think Alex, you'd ultimately agree with this. He's much better as a secondary creator when, when he can get the ball off of an initial action and he's attacking a slanted defense because he, I mean, aside from some moments in Orlando where he had to do and he did a pretty decent job at it, he's not really that guy. Yeah, exactly. So like both these questions. So the the one from uh, from Barrett Brigade said primary ball handler. The one from Argentum Spectrum said, you know, to use him as at the point. I disagree with both of those, although I do agree that I think that he would be best as the first option off the bench, which like there's a there's a distinction there. Right. Like I I don't think I would want him bringing the ball down the floor every time because Quite frankly, he's uh, he just doesn't have a good enough handle to even deal with like full court pressure, for example. Like if he was getting full court pressured, it, there would be real, real chances of the ball getting turned over around half court uh, when he was coming down the court. I mean, we already see some fairly accomplished ball handlers on the Knicks even have issues with full court pressure from time to time, like Emmanuel Quickly, uh, who I would say is is leagues better at handling the ball than Evan Fournier at this stage, even with IQ's limitations. So I, I think basically what I would, it, uh, so I'll, I'll say this much for him though. Like it, he did last year, and this might be part of like a number that people have seen that maybe would make them think like, Oh, Evan Fournier can definitely do this. Like he was uh, almost in the 72nd percentile as a pick and roll ball handler last year in Orlando with 0.95 points per possession. Uh, those are really good numbers, and that's that's great. That comes from uh, NBA.com, their uh, tracking data. But I, I think that's about as far as his utility goes. Like he's not really the type to just kind of like start from uh, start from nothing and you know get his way into the paint and you know create looks for people on the outside or or things of that nature. Like that's just not really his game. He's more meant, as you said, you know, having an action drawn up for him and then being allowed to have some you know, flexibility within that to either go to score or to look to distribute. And I think that he could do that well uh, for the Knicks. So 
I think my ideal scenario, I would still like moving Fournier to the bench. You know, the 40-point explosion notwithstanding. I even said this the other day. Like, my main thing, you know, not to throw cold water on, like, scoring 40 points is, like, we just need to see this consistently from him. And I think the best way to get it consistently would be to put him in a role where he can come in off the bench and it's like, all right, Evan, you're the man now. Like, go out there and and lead that second unit like you led all those Orlando teams and whatever and, you know, be the primary scorer on those units. And I, I think that would work really well for him. So I think an ideal arrangement, given the, the construction of the Knicks right now, you know, this is still – this is looking forward to a time when uh, – when Kemba Walker is back, you know, when his knee is feeling better, but Derek Rose still out for, you know, another month and change. I think if you could put together a starting lineup of Kemba, uh, Alec Burks, RJ Barrett, Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson, and then have Emmanuel quickly, Evan Fournier and Obi Toppin as like your main guys off the bench uh, that could play, you know, a good amount of minutes off the bench. I think that's, that's getting into the territory of a lineup that I would, I would be really comfortable with. And, you know, you could also obviously throw Grimes in there with that second unit and then whoever out of Taj or hopefully a healthy Noel at some point soon um, that you could put in there. I think that would make for two really formidable units uh, separately, but also ones that you could, you know, mix and match some with, which hopefully Tibbs keeps doing, because I, I think that's been a, a positive development recently for the Knicks is that he is staggering guys shifts a little more. Um, so, yeah, I think that would be my ideal plan. Then just to to finish off my point, and then I'll throw it to you to close the show out, Gavin. Like, uh, so our gentleman spectrum also said, you know, wasn't that the point of signing him over Bullock was to play more like point? It's not so much that Evan Fournier is such a good ball handler that he could run point necessarily, because I think that's that's a different level of player to what he is. But the point of signing him over Bullock was more being able to attack closeouts so if he gets the ball in the perimeter uh you know and ideally you want him to shoot a three-pointer but if there's a defender closing out that has good enough position to you know affect his three-point shot he's not like Reggie Bullock where basically his only move is to put it on the ground you know on, on his outside hand and sort of start you know working his way around the perimeter to try to find someone else to pass the ball to he can put it on the floor and drive by that guy and it's competent enough to get inside and, you know, either find someone like a Mitchell Robinson on a cut uh, or, you know, in the dunker spot or put up a floater himself or, you know, go for a layup or, you know, whatever the case may be. That's the difference between him and Bullock. It's not so much that Fournier is straight up like a, you know, guy that you could just hand the ball to and just be like, all right, man, like run the offense, figure it out for us. Like he's I don't think he's ever really been that type of player. Um, but he definitely is competent enough to do more than Bullock used to do in those situations. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think, I think to your point, that's why the Knicks went out and got him. And the reason it hasn't totally worked is he has not been comfortable being that secondary guy. And we were all sort of of the opinion, like, all right, you take someone who was a primary, you make them to a secondary, they will automatically be more efficient in that role. And it turns out he's he's ultimately a rhythm player. And that's why you see him have these zero-point games. And then, I mean, it was the first time in 40 years that someone – or almost 50 years – that someone had a zero-point game and then a 40-point game their next game. It's because he's such a rhythm guy. And if he doesn't get into that rhythm initially, then it just doesn't happen for him. And if he's hot and he get, keeps getting those touches and he, and he continues to get going, he can he can be a great performer. And, and to me, 
it's more likely he gets those opportunities off the bench. So with that, we will wrap up this edition of the Locked on Knicks podcast. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. If you made it this long, we really appreciate it. I think this is one of our longer episodes in a while. Um, but please remember to subscribe on YouTube. I know whenever I hear someone say that on a podcast, I usually ignore it, but it really does make a big difference. I'm going to try and do a better job for all my other podcasters out there. And if you guys can just take a second and do that, it would be a massive help for us. But until next time, for Alex Wolf, I'm Gavin Shaw. Peace out.